Hi everyone, it's Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. I am so excited to talk to y'all today for the first episode of Bad Astrologers Season 3. It feels so surreal to say Season 3, and I'm just incredibly grateful to anybody who's listening that that is even a possibility. This last year, which we'll talk about quite a bit in this episode, had, needless to say, plenty of ups and downs, but I felt incredibly fortunate and lucky to be able to interview so many incredible people and create astrology work that really resonated. And it's such a delight to be able to do that again in 2021. It feels like a totally new era um, and yet so much feels the same. Is it Tuesday? Is it Wednesday? I have no idea. But anyhow, season three, here we go. This episode is going to be You know those episodes that start out with me saying, can I be a bitch for a second? It's like that, but for the whole time. I'm hoping I can give you some helpful tips and strategy going into the new year. Um, But first, just a quick reminder that this is an independent production. It's all me and my producer putting this together every other week and then obviously writing the wonderful horoscopes and taroscopes and Q&A videos for the amazing Patreon supporters. The community is growing all the time and it's such a fascinating group of mystics who are at all skill levels, all interest levels, and you can do a monthly contribution at three different levels, all named for asteroids, of course, and hopefully I'll see you there. You can visit patreon.com slash badastro to join, or if you want to do a free contribution, the best way to do that is leave a review, a positive review on iTunes. The algorithm really is like magic, and the more positive and written reviews are there, the more likely other mystics who might be looking for it will find the show. So, and don't forget to follow the show at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to get the latest on when new episodes drop. And of course, a couple of things that I'm offering in the new year that I wanted to let you know right away. So my books are open for astrology consultation. If you want to know what 2021 has in store for you, I this is one of my favorite times of the year to do readings because even though it is still a tough time, there is that freshness. There's the new Saturn Uranus squares, which we'll talk about a little in this episode. So if you're curious about how that affects you personally, I would love to work with you. And if one of your intentions for 2021 is deepening your own astrological studies, I can help with that too. I have just a couple of spots left for mentoring for the next uh, six months. And if that's something that you're interested in, you can visit ameliaquint.com mentoring. And if you have any questions, you know, you can always reach out to me there for more information about what that's all about. It's been so, so much fun going on this journey with the folks that I worked with last year and into this year. And it would be an honor to get to go on that journey with you. So... Let's talk about this episode. It's going to be a big one. We're going to cover lots of different topics. I didn't know, I've spent so long writing it. I didn't know whether I wanted it to be a hindsight 2020 retrospective or a 2021 astrology preview 
or something in between. And as I wrote and as I paid attention to the conversations going on online in the astrological community and just about astrology in general, I started to notice this theme emerge, which is that astrology as a profession, as an idea in 2021 is at this incredible inflection point. So here's what I mean by that. 2020 was a huge year for astrology. Thousands of people across the world used their time in quarantine to learn to speak astrology, achieving a widespread level of fluency with the language of the stars that I have never encountered before. I actually got into the game because I live in South Carolina, and so far as I could tell, there were not too many other folks practicing where I was. People had started to hear that I did it, and I wanted to you know, stake a claim in that conversation and say, this is a good thing, this is a healing thing. And since then, that was uh, like 10 years ago at this point, it's become something so huge and the pandemic has really pushed that forward. People finally know more than just their sun sign. In fact, if you ask, there's more people than ever before that can tell you their big three. And if you're new to astrology and joining us today, that's the sun, moon, and rising sign. So, I mean, maybe this podcast even helped you figure those things out. I hope so. That's the goal. But this influx of newness to astrology is wonderful and astonishing and delightful, but it has come with some growing pains. You see, this massive wave of new and deepening interest in astrology happened alongside some of the most cruel, painful, and crushing events of our time. A worldwide pandemic with nearly 2 million dead at the time of this recording, a brutal reckoning with an absolutely broken justice system in the United States, and our democratic process in shambles has left everyone searching desperately for answers. And those were answers that astrology could provide. 2020 was, by all measures, a year of era-defining shifts, bookended by the once-in-40-years Saturn-Pluto conjunction in January, which shook the very foundations of our society to the core, and the Great Conjunction in December, which was the first in an air sign in 200 years, marking a socio-political changing of the guard and shift in global strategy. But what does it mean for astrology to have grown up during an earth-shattering, democracy-shaking pandemic year? The efficacy of astrology, both in the sense of accurate predictions and a tool for healing in times of crisis, is arguably more apparent than ever as its financial viability as an industry grows too, with venture capitalists pouring more and more money into what the New York Times cheekily called Big Zodiac, aka astrology apps. Thank you to Pluto and Capricorn for that, I'm sure. So the question I pose today is this, how can we move our astrology from being one of crisis to one of progress? How can we use the stars and their stories as a tool for healing and reconciliation and hope instead of stoking potentially harmful anxiety or giving people easy answers? And how do we adapt our strategies, both for reading the stars and for life in general, to a post-COVID, post-Great Conjunction world? For today's episode, let's reimagine what astrology can be in 2021. Together. Sit back, relax your shoulders, take a deep breath. And let's start this show. 
So I want to begin by talking about what I refer to as self-care for oracles. So here's what I mean by that. Oracles, I would say that anybody who does divination, like astrology or tarot or reading intestines or what have you, for a living or just for themselves, have been in the business of helping people through times of crisis since pretty much always. It's kind of the point. It's becoming a lot more commonplace for people to go to astrologers for a regular tune-up sort of thing. But there is usually some kind of inflection point that got them there, like a death, a divorce, a career change, a move, or any other number of life upheavals. And so I just want to affirm to everyone listening that this is heavy stuff, right? Astrologers are psychopomps to guide people through the tough stuff, whether that's individual, societal, or somewhere in between. And we can often tread really dark territory with people. And in no year was that more evident than 2020. The absolute exhaustion of having to tell every single client, well, it's going to be like this for a while, when they were in moments of such pain and suffering was just frankly terrible. And also, if you're doing your own star studies right now, just getting into astrology, I can't imagine what it's been like gaining access to this knowledge of planetary cycles during such a challenging stellar moment. And it can be tempting for all of us, no matter how long we've been doing it, to push ourselves past our limits. The thing is, within yourself, anytime you're using astrology, you're in the constant process of weighing truth and mercy of balancing being faithful to what the chart is telling you without causing undue stress and potentially harm in that process. And that is where the need for self-care comes in. I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but it's okay to take a break. Honestly, this is going to be a long-haul experience, astrologically and otherwise. It's a marathon and not a sprint, and you've got to pace yourself. Also, I gotta say, there's no law saying that in order to be good, I'm doing air quotes right now, good at astrology, you have to constantly be on, predicting every crack in the empire's foundation. Astrological doom scrolling is not activism. Instead, you should log off and be of service to your community. That's actually what Saturn and Aquarius is all about, right? Saturn is about building stronger communities, but more on that later. So I loved this from Twitter. So on Twitter, Lisa Scheim, who is an excellent consulting astrologer who does work with electional charts, that's finding good dates for stuff, rectifying birth charts, or figuring out what time you were born if you don't have a birth certificate, and zodiacal releasing, which is a super complicated Hellenistic technique that lays out your whole life trajectory like a cosmic CV. She explained it this way. One of the bigger misconceptions about astrology I notice, both from the outside and within, is that astrologers always state publicly any predictions that they're capable of making. What you can see and what you decide to say out loud can be two different things. Lisa goes on to say, I think people can often reflexively think that they have to say everything they see, mostly to gain professional acclaim or prove astrology works. But there can be downsides to that too, that I think often go unquestioned in the zeal to be proven right. Can I just say that when I was reading this thread, I was yelling, 
hell yes the whole time. There's a lot to unpack in Lisa's words, but I want to focus on just a couple of things. First is, it's true. You don't have to say everything you predict in a public forum in order to get like a cookie for being right or the best. That doesn't make you a better astrologer. It just means that you said something in public. Number two, you have a responsibility to both yourself and the people who are going to receive your predictions to have discernment about what you share. You have to get right with the fact that your words will have an impact on this person's life going forward and take that ethically seriously. Next up, maybe most importantly, take care of yourself. If reading about how Saturn conjunct Pluto is going to topple every hierarchy, which actually sounds pretty cool at this point, but you get the idea. Take a break. Stop reading. This goes triple, even quadruple, if you're a part of a marginalized group who's already untangling enough trauma as it is. You don't have to add trauma to your existing trauma plate. Um, on that note, one thing I often say to my astrology students, who, again, are the most wonderful people in the world... Um, is that if you find yourself feeling drained after doing readings, something must be adjusted. It's not good. That's not the way it's supposed to feel, right? And those adjustments can look like a lot of different things, right? Maybe the you're giving sessions that are too long. Or maybe you need to do more prep work. There's all, there's all kinds of things there, but that's not the important part. If you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, that's a signal from your body that it's time to rest. You know, you you have to do it. It's going to be there whether you like it or not. And also in that same way, when we talk about adjusting our boundaries, boundaries do have to be adjusted from time to time. What worked for you a year ago might not probably hell won't work for you now in the post-COVID, post-Great Conjunction era. So don't bang your head against the wall trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, but more on strategies for this uh, new future perfect way of being later. Um, last thing, and I'm a bit speaking to myself here, is that you can't self-care yourself out of a crisis. I'm talking about self-care for oracles, and that can be all kinds of things. It can be taking regular social media breaks. It can be, you know, editing what you are looking at if you're feeling overwhelmed. It can be getting yourself, treating yourself in a way that is, like, fiscally responsible but very effective. Um... Those things are great, but you, again, if you're having a serious problem, it's totally okay to get help if you need it. Um, this happened to me last year. I tried to self-care my way out of something that I ended up having surgery for. I'm fine now. I'm healthy. Everything is going well. Um, but just a cautionary tale from someone who's been there, I think that a lot of the messages about self-care are are toxic. And, you know, when I say self-care, what I really mean is listening to your body and listening to what you know to be right and giving yourself the space to feel what you need to feel instead of trying to pour from an empty cup. You know, even if you're someone who's just getting into astrology and isn't taking clients, this applies to you too. You have to do whatever it takes to access just a little bit of joy and delight and pleasure if you're feeling overwhelmed by what you're seeing in the stars. And it can be overwhelming at times. And I want to remind you that it's still okay to use astrology to do things like 
track your personal journey or plan your goals or just to feel deeply in tune with the cycles of nature and something larger than yourself. Even among all of this wildness and tectonic plate shifting, there's still such value in that. You don't have to be an expert on the massive cultural shifts happening or a perfect doomsday prophet. All you have to be is you. All right, next up, I want to talk about the fact that astrology is having a Saturn transit. It's true. So think about it this way. Astrology is associated with the sign of Aquarius and Saturn is currently transiting Aquarius for the next several years. So I am very excited to see how the astrology industry, and it is an industry, comes of age in this new era. So, you know, there we went from a time when nobody knew their sun, moon rising to now everybody has an app on their phone, whether it's CoStar or The Pattern or Sanctuary or whatever it may be. And it's, it's interesting because there are a great many newcomers to astrology that are finding the practice by way of apps. And that has both strong points and weaknesses as like being the gateway to learning about what astrology is. So, you know, I am so curious to see how this evolves. Before I was writing this, I, I had the idea for this episode, and then I did listen to the astrology podcast about CoStar, um, and I thought it was such a fascinating conversation, and I think it was very indicative of this challenging Saturn transit that astrology as an industry is having, right? So I don't think any of us like expected astrology to blow up to become this huge thing that it is, and you know, Saturn is very much about both structure and authority and respon- ethical responsibility and leadership are all issues that come up with Saturn transits. And I think that both with the apps and in the astrology community, as a general rule, we're going to see lots more challenging conversations of that kind. And I hope that we will be open enough to hold the space for those conversations and empathize with each other as we do that while also holding each other accountable to the ethics that are involved in this practice. We are, you know, not li- not all licensed therapists, I certainly am not, but we are counseling other people and there is responsibility inherent in that, whether you asked for it or not, whether this, you know, this is no longer a funny inside joke with your friends. Now, I love a good astrology meme and I follow several lovely meme accounts, but I think hopefully, you know, one of the actions of Saturn is refinement. That's one of my favorite, like there's a polishing quality to Saturn. And so one of the things I'm most excited for with astrology at this moment is that I'm really, really hoping that we will see this polish astrology as an industry and community until it really can shine and sparkle and um, guide people in a really, really helpful way. Um, I'm also really curious to see, you know, with Saturn being things like business and also restriction, the way that that may factor into the conversation going forward, you know, I think and rightly so, it's going to become a thing of, it, it almost reminds me of photography, right? So like, not everybody who has a camera and takes a picture is a photographer, right? So 
Um, I think the same principle applies to astrology, and it's going to be a very complex web to untangle. How do we, how do we have that conversation of what makes astrology astrology, and how do we practice it both ethically while still having a good time um, without over restricting our ability to experiment and have new ideas? You know, I I just don't want to see us trade our experimentation and independence for a false sense of legitimacy given by a business or anything else like that. So on that point, I want to talk a little bit about the nodal axis right now and how I see that shaping astrology as an industry and really just media as a whole. So right now, really since... Uh, May 5th, 2020, we have the South Node in Sagittarius and the North Node in Gemini, which has been utterly fascinating to watch as it relates to um, the media and information sharing and research and what we consider to be true. It's been a bit of a nightmare in some situations. Um, but I think knowing where the nodes are transiting can give you an idea of what are the really important um, deep lessons about the hidden patterns of what's going on that we need to learn and work on and hopefully shift and change. So Sagittarius, I'm a Sagittarius rising, so I feel like I'm able to comment on this and I'm totally at times like guilty as charged for sure. <laughs> so both uh, Sagittarius and Gemini are about learning and education and writing and ideas and all of those things, but they go about it really differently. So Sagittarius is the researcher. It's almost like the hermit and the academic ivory tower opening all the dusty old books and getting the arcane knowledge and like diving really, really far down a rabbit hole into one topic. It's the, the expert, right? Whereas Gemini is more the jack of all trades or the social learner, right? So we can see this in the, in the indications of Gemini as schooling up until like in America it would be 12th grade graduation. And then Sagittarius is higher education, university, any sort of advanced course of study, right? And Gemini is a lot more about learning and community. And I have absolutely seen this playing out um, in astrology Twitter, which is, oh, I, I love it and I, I'm very affectionate towards it. But I think that we do have to have a conversation about the fact that here's the thing. There's always going to be somebody better at astrology than you, or even better than that, somebody who just decided that they like using a different technique than you. They're always going to be there, and you'll always have the opportunity to shit on them, right? Um, but that is not good. That's not helping anyone, and it's a very South Node and Sagittarius moment right? So Sagittarius is about truth and rightness. And I think with the South Node there, it's revealing how in so many arenas of life, we can just be so convinced of our own rightness. We need to be a little bit more open <laughs> to the ideas of other people. Um, you know, it can be so unnecessarily combative and disheartening 
And I know I have a Mercury in Libra and Mars in Pisces, and I'm the one saying this, but the thing is, we have more newcomers than ever, right? And we should be welcoming them with open arms instead of jumping down their throat when they don't know what terms are, whether they're Egyptian or Chaldean, right? Like, everybody needs to relax a little bit. I get it. I love Deccans. I know terms. Essential dignity is great, but my God, it's like those commercials where a food brand is like, other sodas do this. Other sodas are terrible. They give you cancer. So here's a solution. You should drink our soda. It's the only good one. And at some point, you just have to say, okay, I'm not going to engage in this sort of conversation because it's frankly not true. Mm all, I would say all of the astrologers that I admire most, they are pulling techniques from many, many, many different astrological traditions, right? And they aren't cherry picking, right? So I want to be clear in what I'm saying that as you are learning, you should apply that North Node and Gemini to learn as much as you can about this beautiful, beautiful craft we call astrology, right? Um, go deep into the traditions and honor where they come from, get the facts, get those primary sources. But that doesn't mean that we have to factionalize or choose sides or, you know, hole up in our individual ivory towers, right? Sometimes Saturn can have that sort of fragmenting effect. And so I'm really hoping that Saturn and Aquarius um, does not make that worse. But yeah, I think the most positive manifestation of how this could go is that we learned that Sagittarius South Moon lesson and we move towards instead of saying, I am the wise one with all the truth to saying, what can we learn from each other, right? How can we learn as a community, learn as a group, especially with Saturn and Aquarius to make all of astrology better, right? And I have to say, Aquarius is an incredibly independent and rebellious sign. And so as long as you know the language of astrology, you're fluent in it, and you've done your work, make your own rules. As long as you know what you're talking about, don't let anybody tell you how to do it. Everything started as someone's experiment, and it's so important that we preserve that spirit as we move forward, right? You know, Another thing that I think that we have to discuss that I've seen a little bit of, which definitely goes along with the Sagittarius South Node Gemini North Node conversation, is as we legitimately in 2020 had some profoundly world-altering, life-altering transits. You know, it's not, we weren't just a uh, crying wolf over a Mercury retrograde that, I don't know, like maybe caused us to get an email that we didn't like or something like that. It was a big deal, right? But I think that you still have to be careful when so much of the rhetoric is based around like world-ending narratives and not take those at face value. You should ask yourself, does the person saying that benefit from me staying worried about it somehow, right? And how is this making me feel? Um, another thing that I saw a ton of is folks comparing um, the current political situation in America to the fall of Rome. And there are some real and legitimate comparisons there. Um, but I will say it's important to be specific. The decline of Rome happened over hundreds of years. I mean, there's really 60 years that were the crisis, crisis point. But 
you got to ask people, which part are you talking about? They should be able to tell you, right? So like all things in occultism, I would say be really, really wary of folks who speak in broad terms about ancients and things like that. Even question those who couch hypotheses in academic language too. In lots of cases, it's just a hypothesis or an argument that they're making and not a fact, even though they're presenting it as the latter, right? And the last thing on the world-ending narrative is, so what, right? Okay, cool. Um, if the world is ending, and I'm not saying that I believe that. In fact, I still believe that I think that we are in a time of great climate crisis a time of great social crisis where we're going to have to do a lot of work to fix it. But the real question is, what will you do about it going forward? And that is the question that should be in the forefront of our mind, not I'm better than this person or my idea is better. We should be bringing each other under the same banner so that we can learn and grow and really make the most of this incredible opportunity that we have as astrologers in 2021. Um, this is another side tangent that I promised to include. So I was writing this around the time of uh, the Christian holiday of Epiphany, which uh, celebrates when the three magi um, saw the star um, which is, the lore says that it was a great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, um, and it, it directed them to find the, the baby Jesus in Bethlehem and the manger and the whole, you know, nativity scene stuff. And I was thinking about that, and first of all, it would be super cool if we dubbed that, like, our astrologer's holiday, like, buy our astrology friends gifts. I think that would be super fun. But I was also musing on the fact that I feel like the venture capitalists with the astrology apps and the trad chads actually have something to agree on, which is that astrology shouldn't be magical. They will bend over backwards to try to make astrology as stripped of mysticism and sanitized as possible. And really, that's not new. For years and years and years, um, we've had the sense that astrology was okay if it was used in a certain clinical way and the magic behind it wasn't acknowledged or even was explicitly decried. But I think that we have to be honest about the fact that astrology is magic, right? It, they weren't the three astrologers. They were the three magi. You know, they're probably Zoroastrian priests, um, but they would have been privy to many different systems of uh, particularly like Chaldean magic. So when I talk about magic and astrology, I'm talking about really accepting and embracing the beautiful unknown and the spiritual richness that is astrology. Yes, we have ways to apply it to the real world and real world responsibilities to make sure that the people that we read for are taken care of. But I also think that astrology is magic. And if you don't like that, I would say probably just go ahead and unsubscribe right now because uh, it's just, that's, that's the damn truth. That's my Mars and Pisces talking. But anyways, so that's the state of the astrological situation in 2021. And I think we have 
an incredible opportunity to grow. But looking more towards the individual side, this can apply to individuals or, or groups, it doesn't really matter. So I'm thinking back to the Great Conjunction in December 21st on the solstice and how important that was. So I've talked a lot about the Great Conjunction, but if you're new, it was this incredibly uh, potent moment when Jupiter and Saturn aligned in the sky at zero degrees of Aquarius, kicking off 200 years of these every 20-year alignments in air signs after 200 years prior of Earth. And so it really is the beginning of a new era. You know, it it is a balance to approach that with skepticism and realism, but also to honor the fact that like, yeah, that's what the stars are saying. We're entering into a time where I think that shows us that the normal that was before, it's not coming back. The best thing that we can do to reimagine astrology in 2021 is to build a new normal based on our understanding of these elements. And so what's the difference between earth and air, right? So earth is obviously, it's stone, it's dirt, it's something solid that you can stand on, right? And it's associated with money and material goods, right? And I think that over the past 200 years, especially as Pluto has come into Capricorn, God, we felt it. It's so, there's so much focus on, on money and just getting your basic needs met, right? So earth is stable, but it can also box you in, right? So there's drawbacks and advantages to both. So as we move into the element of air, it's massively different, right? So air is ethereal. It's very uncertain. It's even invisible in many cases besides clouds and storms and things like that. But it is certainly unpredictable and ever-moving, right? So elementally, I think the best thing to think about as we move forward in general is that there's just going to be more uncertainty, right? The most embarrassing thing that I was noticing about myself as I planned my New Year's intentions, I have a workbook that I do by Susanna Conway, Unravel Your Year. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. I'll link to it in the show notes. And I was working on my uh, my intentions and reflecting, and I realized that I was frustrated by the changes that I was going to have to make because I had gotten so accustomed to that earth element. It's like, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't, um, <laughs> which is honestly kind of literal because in the tarot, um, the devil is associated with Capricorn, which was the real heavy focus of last year's astrology. And so, yeah, I was really like, but I know how to work with this devil. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm ready to move on. I'm not ready for this uncertainty, but you don't have to be ready for it. It's already here, so best to adapt. So what does that look like in practice? So first principle to memorize, keep front of mind all the time, is that as we shift from earth to air, we're shifting from things to thoughts, right? And I think that's going to be most apparent probably in the way that we do our job. So let me be clear. I turned to Obama for a second. Let me be clear. <laughs> so we still have to make money to survive. Um, I'm not saying that we don't live in capitalism and have to, you know, we have to 
we're human beings with flesh and blood. We have to feed ourselves. We have to take care of our basic material needs, right? But I think in the past 200 years, in the era of Earth, you know, that was really when the the workplace, the office as a concept came into being, where it's like you go and you sit and it's stable and you get your check and you leave. Um, obviously, that doesn't apply to doesn't apply to vast swaths of folks, but as a microcosm, the idea is there. So the change here is that I don't think that it, we knew this in 2020, but in 2021, going to work just to collect a check is no longer going to fly, right? In general, societally, and for your own emotions. I think that your career, your life has to be something that aligns with your ideals about what you believe in as a whole, right? So essentially going to a shitty job that isn't aligned politically with where you believe the world should be going, it's not okay. Like it never was okay. And I know that we all have to build structures. This won't be an overnight transition by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and there are folks who don't have the privilege to up and change jobs, especially with um, unemployment, what it is. But just an inner emotional shift of, I have to make sure that I'm living authentically to my ideals. That doesn't mean stepping on people who don't share your ideals, but it does mean being honest and truthful and pushing in the world for what you believe is right. I mean, I would hope that we were always doing that, but I think what 2020 showed us is that that we weren't and we have to do better. And that's that's how we'll do it, right? So air is an element as well. We talked about it being uncertain. And so the trick is going to be planning for that uncertainty. Um, one thing that's really common in career planning is like, what's your five-year plan or what's your 10-year plan? I heard Austin Kopic speak about this on, um, I forget the podcast, the RuneSoup podcast. Um, and I thought it was so resonant, right? And that's so true. That is an earth model. And so for me, this is how I'm adapting to the new air-based model. We plan for that uncertainty by essentially going from like a, a long-term planning to a project-based planning. So what I'm doing is literally being inspired by the sky. I'm planning my projects by the lunar cycle. So from new moon to new moon is 28 days. What can you accomplish in 28 days? Uh, we learned in 2020 that life can change a lot in 28 days. Um, but it's definitely, I think we're in a place, especially since we had an insurrection at the Capitol, um, that nothing is certain. We, we don't know what things are going to be like in a year. But you can probably plan new moon to new moon. And that will also help you adjust to your own natal chart and energy levels. So if you're new to astrology, you can look at where that new moon falls in your natal chart. So this is going to come out on a Capricorn new moon, which I'm very excited about. Um, and so you can see which house of your chart does Capricorn align with. And for me, um, I'm a Sagittarius rising. That would be the second house, right? So I'm aligning my projects for the next 28 days to be around second house matters. So money, stability, um, growth, that kind of stuff. So I would encourage you to try that out. It, it also takes away 
I think after the upheaval that was 2020, we need regular positive reinforcement, right? You can't just go, 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 right? Setting measurable goals and then achieving them gives you that satisfaction that you need to fill your inner emotional tank and not just like pass out <laughs> somewhere. Um, so yes, I think planning by lunar cycles is something that gets talked about a lot on Instagram, but maybe not like executed with as much finesse as I would like to see. Like new moons are not always times for manifesting all your dreams because you still have to work with the raw materials that exist. The raw materials being what aspects the stars are making and the raw materials being what's happening in your own life, right? And a new moon is also a time when there's very little lunar light, right? It's still dark. And so the seeds, that those Ace of Pentacles seeds that you sow under the new moon, sometimes we get lucky and they grow really, really fast. Like the next day you see that little green shoot popping up through the dirt and you're like, hell yes, this is amazing. But that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes the ground that you planted on had some real big rocks in it and that's okay. But giving yourself just a couple of weeks <laughs> to work on everything, I think will make it a lot more manageable and hopefully hopeful. And speaking of hope, <laughs> in conclusion, I want to think about where does this leave us? If you've been watching The Good Place like I have, then you'll recognize the episode title and eponymous philosophy book by T.M. Scanlon, What We Owe to Each Other. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, what do we owe to each other as an astrology community, as a society, and in our individual relationships? Obviously, I would not dare say that I have one clear authoritative answer to that question. Nobody does. But for me, here's what I think that we need in order to reimagine astrology in 2021. I think we need accountability. I think with any growth, there's going to be scaling struggles. And so as society comes to just be more aware of astrology, we're going to have to hold each other accountable for the responsibility that being someone who counsels people through tough times, who is able to see someone's soul bared through some pictures on a circle um, and really encourage each other, not just to act ethically, but to act with, with love, right? And that's where the second ingredient comes in. I think that we have to have empathy, right? As astrology grows, there's more people learning than ever. And as people learn, they're going to make mistakes. And so being empathetic for when you came into the game and you didn't have the resources that they had and you were just learning. You were still figuring it out. And we're all still figuring it out. And also empathy for yourself and how difficult this can be. Knowing that you're in the middle of a life-altering transit doesn't make it less acutely painful in the moment. And so having empathy for yourself and using that empathy to see that the people around you are fighting a hard battle too. I think that's going to be so essential. It's always essential, but especially now. And finally, I think we absolutely have to have hope. Having hope doesn't make you any less intellectual. 
In fact, we need hope to fuel us during the times when it's so dark that you can't even see the stars, like it was last year and like it may be this year sometimes too. So in 2021, I hope that you'll reimagine astrology with me with accountability, empathy, and hope. And I can't wait to share the rest of the season with you. Truly, truly, I have some very exciting ideas brewing and it's such a an honor and a joy to get to share them with you. I don't take it for granted for one single second. If you listen this far, (laughs) thank you so much. I deeply appreciate you. Take care.